Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Plains on the Prairie podcast. I'm Max. And I'm Sam. And today we have a, a special episode for you guys. Um, we know that uh, the Christmas season is upon us. And uh, earlier this month, we were kind of thinking, you know, what episode could we do that would really kind of capture that holiday spirit? And uh, Sam, you got me in touch with a book. Do you want to talk a little bit about that book? Yeah. So as some of you know, I'm a pretty avid reader. I Pretty much always have a book going at some point and came across, well, you came across Donald Emerson. He's a Pembina, North Dakota native that uh, this was while we were researching our ACEs series. His name came up as an ACE, but there was some, you know, controversy of whether he was an ACE or not. And we found out he was not a an aerial ACE. He did, as we'll find out later, uh, destroy seven aircraft combined between aerial and ground victories. But uh, anyways, uh, while looking up his name, found a book called Donald's Story, and it was a $5 used book on Amazon. I was like, well, let's give it a shot. And uh, it's authored by Sandra Merrill, a Carlstad, Minnesota native, and um, a really, really good read. Yeah, I I was blown away. You know, it. I think it's a unique book in the sense that it combines, uh, you know, historical fact. <laughs> so, you know, she includes... Um, you know, Hitler invaded, you know, Poland on this day or, you know, the yeah. Allies landed on Normandy Beach. But then she goes into a very brief history of the fourth fighter group and its individual squadrons, especially the one that Donald was a part of. And then it actually includes his letters. Right. And like, that's that's it, it's it, huge. Yeah. And it's it, it really provides an inside look into the life of such a young man who you know, served his country, was so eager mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, fight the good fight. And I, I, I we'll talk about it more in, when we get into the, the podcast. But, you know, you said that you can really see how the war wears him down. Oh, and, yeah. Yep. And it puts it, this book is really good on the human factor. I wouldn't, you know, if you're looking for a fourth fighter group historical book, this isn't it. This isn't your, you know, diehard research book. It's more of a, a story. Right. And I... As far as I know, I'm not a fourth fighter group expert. I didn't see anything wrong in accuracy wise no. with the historical context. And yeah. I really appreciated the context. Right? And I think Sandra was able to get in touch with a lot of, you know, she, I think wrote this in the, the mid to late nineties. So, you know, yes, those veterans of the fourth fighter group would have been, you know, older, but you know, they, they still around. remembered yeah. Donald. They still remembered, you know, the war. And it well, was she still... knew personally some of his squadron mates, exactly. which is really neat. Yeah. And they, you know, they provided insight, which, you know, really made things interesting. So um, without further ado. Uh, yeah, let's start? dig in. All right. So, well, Donald Emerson, we'll just kind of talk through his biography as, and we'll kind of reference the book yeah. throughout. So that's kind of how this will be. Um, he's born May 17th, 1923 in uh, Pembina, North Dakota. So he's kind of a younger guy going into the war, and that's that's going to come up later as well. Um, he split time between Pembina and Karlstad, lived with his sister Eleanor quite a bit. Uh, he wasn't a very accomplished student, and he did not like farming. Right, And yeah. that was well said, and, you know, it was, it, was, it was gone over many times in the first few yeah, chapters. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, again, going back to the book, it kind of goes between, you know, what we had just mentioned. And then, you know, Sandra was interviewing her mom, who mm-hmm. was Eleanor. So Eleanor had, you know, these uh, relationships, you know, that she would like to focus mm-hmm. on and talk about. And it, I, I thought that that also added another aspect to the human side. Well, and having a, uh, you know, a, a sibling of Donald with, you know, the tragedy that happened 
so willing to talk about it compared to her brother or his yeah. brother, John, that's something, you know, the, the, the relationship between both of them was really strong. Mm-hmm. We can tell one took it a little more difficult Absolutely. than the other, but uh, yeah, he graduated in Carl from Carlstad high school in 1941 uh, in the book. If you do decide to buy it, it has a picture of his whole class there of like 30 some people, if that, I think mm-hmm. so small, small area still is, um, <laughs> but uh, he ended up uh, bouncing around some jobs in Chicago Um well, he worked for a catalog company for a while, and then uh, once the war started, he wanted yes. to and went well, initially wanted to go to the Coast Guard, and then kind of ended up going into the Army Air Corps. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I think he originally was like, "Well, you know, I'll I'll be a mechanic, or I'll I'll be a, you know." He, he didn't really have aspirations no. to fly, and then you know he was. I mean, I, the book says that he didn't really apply himself in school. But he was a smart guy. He reminds me of a lot of people who went to high school. Right. You know? <laughs> but um, no, it was interesting to see that. And, you know, he, his brother would have ended up getting drafted. He was, a, he, they had a, you know, back the hardship, I forget the name of the exact uh, rule or whatever. Based on the Sullivan brothers? Yeah. Basic, well, no, it's more if you have, you know, someone supporting your family, his brother oh, gotcha. did support the family quite a bit with the farming. So, and if Donald didn't have any interest in farming, he, his logic, you know, as he said, went through the book, it's like, Oh, I'll go enlist. Yeah. And he was trying to, you know, going as a mechanic and stuff, isn't risk-free, but it's lower risk than, yeah. Right. So, so yeah. And then he, uh, you know, did his oath here in Fargo actually, cause it was the nearest mm-hmm. place to swear in. And then he ended up at Fort Snelling and then uh, applied as a mechanic and then became an armorer for mm-hmm. a short while and he was passing the test so well that's where that application came in but it seems seems like a lot of people at least that i know and just a lot of stories you hear when you get into the military you change a little bit you're yeah, you're, you're kind of forced to apply yourself mm-hmm. and um yeah from there he uh ended up going to flight school yeah i know he did his training at lowry mm-hmm. and then from there i think went to was it texas he, yeah, he, he bounced around the base, South Carolina yeah, and South other Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, yeah. Florida, yeah, all over the South. Yeah, you know, it, it's always interesting when you read a story like that. It's like, wow, like I've been to Pemina, I've been to Chicago, I've been to Lowry or Fort right. Lowry. And imagine doing all that in uh, three, four months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really all over the place. Yeah, especially for a a small town North Dakota kid that really, other than you know, Western Minnesota, probably didn't see much of. Not really, you know. United States before that. Yeah, and then he was um commissioned as a second lieutenant on uh October 1st of 43. So this kind of fast forwarding here through all the training. And uh during that time he did find a girlfriend, Eleanor, not the same Eleanor, but um, <laughs> but uh yeah, he didn't have a wife or anything ever, but he, he seemed like kind of a ladies man, you know, never had any serious girlfriends, but then this one um gave him a lucky rabbit's foot. As um, one of the more famous photos of Donald is out there with him. Yeah. And, you know, it's, again, I I think we should reference the book quite a bit here. He writes about her like. Like every every guy should write about his life. Yes. You know, he sets the bar very high. And it's, you know, we as readers know what happens in the end. And it's it's heartbreaking to go go through these letters. Mm -hmm. You know, he's talked about having a future and yeah, you know, he talked about joining an airline after the war and try to get ahead of the curve. And yeah, it's 
it's kind of the humanizing aspect is, you know, it's kind of a two-sided coin. It's really cool and then really sad at the yeah. same time if you know they have passed. But but yeah, he was attached to the fourth fighter group at RAF Debden and with the 336 squadron. So we'll be talking a little bit about that at the end. We're going to kind of keep this the same form, somewhat the same format as our Aces series. But yeah, and then uh, if you want to take us through the wartime stuff a little bit. Yeah, so um, upon his arrival to Europe, like you said, he was assigned to the fourth fighter group. And most of the time, at least early on, it was either bomber escort missions Mm -hmm. or ground interdiction. And granted, this was before D-Day. Yes. So um, in his letters, you can see him start. I mean, obviously, the letters were censored. Mm. So even for an officer, I think they did their own censoring. But I still yep. think that they they still had uh, certain certain people would take a take look. over and take their job really seriously, yeah. which you can tell he didn't like. But. Yeah, absolutely. But you can see in his letters that he's talking about this build up, and mm-hmm. you know he's getting super busy. And then during the you know actual invasion mm-hmm. he like especially sander does a great job of describing you know how busy they really were mm-hmm. and i think that kind of goes into the historical aspect of the fourth fighter group part right. or aspect of the book um but then after the operation or after d-day you know all of his letters are like yeah man like, i am exhausted right and well and then during his leave as well that he took in between mm-hmm. that's where he really the morale really went down because he wanted to, he he got to see Eleanor, he got to see his family, and then he's like, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what I got out of it. And again, the book really, it, it shows how dangerous it was <laughs> to be a fighter pilot. And a lot of movies, like, you know, especially, you know, the ones that focus on, you know, the glamour of being a fighter pilot, they don't show that so many guys in that squadron or any squadron were killed on a daily or weekly basis. And I think it was like almost every single like paragraph Mm -hmm. or, you know, couple page spread that Sander talked about. It was like real names, real places either were shot down or POW'd or killed. Well, and a lot of his friends themselves were shot down, killed or captured. Yeah. One of his really good friends was, he wrote home about that. Mm. It's terrible. terrible Yeah. He, he was involved in some really interesting missions, though. Yeah. I mean, the Russian sh- uh, shuttle missions, which um, yeah. basically, to give a really short uh, gist of it, is, uh, you know, they would strike targets in Germany, deep into Germany. And then because they went so deep into Germany, they're closer to Soviet territory than they were to, you know, RAF or sorry, uh, British or, you know, slash American territory on the West that they would just have to camp out there for, you know, a week. And I believe he was talking about how the food wasn't very good. And they basically just, he didn't drink, but they had their fair share of vodka, you know, stereotypical. Yeah. So, so that was really interesting. Yeah. The, uh, actually speaking of the Russian shuttle missions, um, you know, the photo or the book does a great job of showing pictures. Mm -hmm. It really gives you the inside scoop on Donald's life. And yeah, you mentioned the shuttle missions and, uh, one of the color photos on the back is literally Donald after b- arriving back in uh, England. Right. And from one of those. Uh, he looks shot. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I don't blame him. I, I would imagine that my behind would be very sober. It's a long flight. That. Yeah. Um, but obviously, as the war progressed, um, even after D-Day, it was still um, bomber missions. And he was destroying quite a few German planes on the ground. Yes. I think... 
I think his final total came out to what ten or eleven. Yeah, but mm. I think uh, I think they confirmed seven, and then he ended up having more. Yeah, yeah, and then but most of those either yeah were on the ground or shared victories, mm-hmm. which still count. Oh but, yeah, 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 very very fascinating. Yeah, and you know there he didn't seem to be much uh, of a bragger for scoring, mm-hmm. and and the fourth fighter group has some really uh, famous pilots such as God, John Godfrey. Uh, Dominic Gentile, you know, some of those big names and well, Colonel Donald Blakesley was yeah. his squadron leader. And, <laughs> you know, he talks about him a ton, how he looks up to him. And, you know, it seemed it, it's such a famous group and thought to be such a big group, but it seemed pretty close knit, even it's, even with the attrition they had. And I think, you know, especially when Donald arrived, I think, was it Blakesley that said he and was it Patch, Patchkey or mm-hmm. one of his friends? They couldn't have nose art on their planes. No. And within, you know, two or three months, they have, you know, demonstrated these guys are formidable fighters. They're, mm-hmm. you know, aggressive. I think they said Donald, despite his size, he's a pretty short guy, but he was an aggressive fighter pilot. And he, he did get more and more aggressive as the war went on. I mean, even he, we were talking before this and we were talking a little bit at the beginning of the podcast that he got more of a fatalistic view on everything. Yeah. And he started, his squadron mates started to notice he was getting more Rec- not reckless but a little bit more fearless in his combat missions which you know produced results but he seemed to not really expect to make it out towards the end mm-hmm. which is really hard to see i agree and i think in the book i don't quote me on it maybe but his brother john like you could kind of see especially when sandra would interview him or talk to him and then you would read the letter or hear the letters that john wrote to his brother it's hard not to think that John might have taken it a little personally, and it. it well, know, and it's, I, it's sad. Well, and when your brother goes, your younger brother goes mm-hmm. a place. You know, I'm an older brother myself, and As it would it would be uh, weird, you know, if if you know my younger brother, it'd be hard if something happened there. So yeah. it's you know I could definitely tell there's some personal burden and how he still you know up to when this book was written didn't really want to talk about it. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah, and then, um, well, unfortunately, on uh, Christmas Day, 1944, Battle of Bulge was raging and the weather cleared. Uh, they were on a strike to, um, gosh, I forget the name in Germany. It was, um, was it in Germany? Well, the target was Germany, but he was returning over um, over the American lines in Holland. And unfortunately, it was shot down by yeah. AA fire. Yeah, because so. uh, I think he got separated from his group. Mm-hmm in you know because the weather yes it had cleared but it was still patchy right and got lost and i think he got jumped by five fw190s and i think he managed to get two but unfortunately he was downed by enemy yeah aircraft fire according to some accounts he was pretty uh, frantic over the radio and giving commentary all the way down and um some sources i I don't remember if the book stated but they think he was killed before he hit the ground which least it was quick but Mm -hmm. but um and his death is very overshadowed compared to um, another you know the same day the same day george preddy of the 352nd fighter group uh major george preddy he um those of you familiar with the fargo air museum we had uh, cripes and mighty or a plane painted like cripes and mighty here for uh, many years and he's pretty significant around here but his death since of his 33 and a half kills and you know big ace status Mm -hmm. it was overshadowing donald's unfortunately but you know both unfortunate incidents of of ground fire and 
um, Preddy was killed by friendly fire. So, but yeah, um, you know, this uh, episode is to remind us of, you know, our loved ones, you know, you, you said, uh, I remember you had your Instagram post yesterday, you mentioned um, there's kind of a personal aspect to this book as well. Yeah. My, uh, my grandfather's, I didn't learn about him until I was about to graduate high school, but my, my grandfather's uncle uh, Frank Whittemore Jr. Uh, was, you know, a young second lieutenant just out of training, was assigned to the 779th Bomb Squadron of the 464th Bomb Group, based out of Italy. And first combat mission was in the lead ship of V-24J Liberator, and went down. And unfortunately, they have never found any remains. Uh, no one has been recovered. Um, all that, you know, there really is to remember him is his name is on the the list of the lost, I believe, in Italy hmm. for a memorial. And reading this book, it, you know, it, it reminded me of my own personal, you know, research, uh, trying to find out my great great uncle's story. Mm -hmm. um, I never, but the only, you know, real relation I had to him was my grandfather, who was not even well, a little bit older than a toddler. Maybe let's see, grandpa was one. So my grandpa would have been four years old, hmm. four or five at the most. No older than six for sure when uncle frank went off to war right and you know all he remembers is getting two coins from him and that's it and that's all i had to really go off of so right. in this this book i mean no you know not many people wrote as many letters as, no. as donald yeah donald was documenting his entire you know path it, it was so fascinating again i, I can't stop saying it the book is so fascinating in the sense that it really does give you an inside look into this mm -hmm. young man's life. And it, it, at the end, I, I know I told you over the, over the phone or yeah, but I, it, it, for me, it was emotional. Oh, I definitely, you know, all this time and you know, this is like such a aspiring young man. And that's unfortunately how, it, how his life is ended. Right. And well, and Eleanor was trying to, his sister was trying to get there to Holland where he was laid and laid to rest and, couldn't make it you know she unfortunately passed and mm -hmm. well, she was too ill to go you know initially and it was very cool to see that um uh, sandra made it and you know um was able to talk with the um with the uh, gatekeeper for yeah. for that and, and pointed there um or his grave i believe it's section 15 mm -hmm. uh 22 or part plot 22 i believe um you know and then at the back of the book just looking at it now you know it's almost an inside look into Sanders family as well. Right. And, you know, it's so cool. Um, Eleanor, the woman that Donald was in love with, eventually um, married her boyfriend that she had had prior to World War II breaking out. And Eleanor's sister, who actually was the one that we I guess we could talk about this more when we get into the actual Warbird section. But long story short, um, Eleanor's sister, um, she named her first son after Donald mm -hmm. and that son went on to become a U.S. Air Force captain flying. I, I think that's an F-15. Yeah, so. well, it's super cool. And, and you know, everybody who talked about him in the book and just he just seemed like a stand-up person, impressionable, good with kids. It just Absolutely. seemed like the all-around good guy, you know. And so, yeah, that's kind of our overview of Emerson. And uh, we highly recommend you pick up this this yeah. book. And we'll probably... Like Sam said, you can find it on Amazon. I know the Fargo Air Museum has one copy left. Yeah. So better hurry because I might buy it for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now we'll dig into, um, we'll, again, sticking to the format, kind of like our ACES series. 
uh, we'll talk about the fighter group and the 336. Absolutely. So, so the fourth fighter group, we've, you know, we, uh, Cohen. Oscar Cohen, yep. you know, a, one of our more popular uh, Aces episodes, he was an actual RAF member of that squadron. So mm-hmm. he had joined the Royal Canadian Air Force, which um, eventually they were all, you know, sent over to England to help fight the Germans. And the fourth fighter group was basically made up of all those Eagle squadrons. And that's why their emblem is an Eagle right. boxing gloves on, basically. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they eventually, once they were turned over to U.S. Army Air Force uh, control, they flew missions. Um, I believe, what was their first air? They started on the Spitfires. Right. So they did fighter sweeps for the most part. Those are Mark V, five, 5Bs, five, uh, I believe. And then they moved into the 47Cs and Ds. Um, and then short, that was a short time. Then they moved into the P-51B and then finally the D variant. Gotcha. So. Yeah. And the, uh, I guess a little sidebar here, the um, losses on the Spitfire was like somewhere around five. It was less than 10. And um, the P-47 losses were very small. The majority of, of their losses of their 200 and forgive me for not knowing the exact number, but 220 to 230 were in, were in the Mustangs. Gotcha. But how, was it like they were in the Mustangs the longest? They were in the, the Mustangs the longest. And think about the the missions themselves, yeah. escort missions deep into Germany. And then, and then when they go switch to ground, yep, yeah. ground attack in a Mustang isn't as friendly as a 47. Right. So, yeah. And then uh, they were the um, first fighter group. The fourth itself was the first fighter group to escort U.S. bombers over Berlin in uh, March of 44. So just think about that. Prior to D-Day, they were bombing Berlin <laughs> on a regular basis with escort. Right. Yeah. Just not having to do it at night. <laughs> and then they uh, also participated in the, the Russian shuttle missions, which you did uh, mention with Donald being a part of those. And uh, they weren't the sole fighter group participating right. yeah. in that, but they were uh, one of the first. And uh, I guess statistically, they did uh, very well, combined for over a thousand aircraft in aerial and ground interdiction yeah. parties. In the book, they mentioned that there was an almost, you know, they didn't write about it. At least mm-hmm. Donald didn't write about it. But, you know, there was that competition between Zemecki's Wolfpack. Am I saying? Yeah, Zemke. Hub Zemke. Yeah, yeah. Hub Zemke's. I believe that was the 56. Yeah, with Gabreski. And, yeah. yeah. So you have a, a Mustang unit and a P 47 unit, you know, dishing it out, trying mm-hmm. to. Know who can have the most kills, and I think it was after um Gabreski was he was a he, he was shot down and taken prisoner, yeah. And then that's when they're like, okay, like we'll you guys need to die chill out, back. Yep. yeah. <laughs> well, and then um, again, I'm to mention a couple of the aces. Uh, Dominic Salvador Gentile was a really was a top scoring ace of the group. Uh, Dwayne Beeson was also one, and then John T. Godfrey was one. Um, there's a book I could recommend, it's called The Look of Eagles. He wrote that. Um, he was uh, one of the, I believe he scored about 16 victories, but he was shot down uh, towards the end of the war and spent time evading with um, different groups in uh, France and Belgium. And uh, he actually ended up uh, passing away shortly after the war of ALS. And it's, uh, So the beginning and final chapters of his autobiography, it's while he wrote this while having ALS wow. and talks about his whole you know thing there and that was a really good read. I'll, I'll borrow you that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the fourth fighter group, one of the more iconic ones. Uh, we have fourth fighter group Mustang here at the yep. museum. So very, that very... we'd still need to film, but we got to get, <laughs> we got to get Toby on here. Yeah, but, absolutely. Absolutely. but yeah. And then uh, now we'll dig into the aircraft that we can see nowadays. Yeah. So um, I really, 
when we did our ACES series, there were really only at least one, maybe two airplanes that were actually painted up as, um, you know, one of the ACE aircraft. Right. And unfortunately, the P-38 Lightning was no longer around. Right. However, um, Donald Emerson's Mustang, or at least one that is painted up like his, is still around. Um, the interesting, well, we should go into the his original Mustang was um, serial number 44-13317. So a uh, pretty standard low uh, serial number D model. Um, you know, it was pretty common for those, you know, at least, uh, you know, 13 thousand range 13 yeah 13,000 range mustangs yeah those are the ones that you mostly see um that actually saw combat overseas at right. least in the european theater mm -hmm. during world war ii um in the book i know it mentions that uh when and we had briefly touched on it but when he was first assigned to the unit he was flying p-51b's mm -hmm. and i think he and his friend were you know wanting to put nose art on it. and i believe it was a 336 commander the squadron commander said absolutely not you guys are rookies you don't you don't get to do that it, it's not it's earned it's mm -hmm. not given so as we see in the book though the two guys you know really dish it out and are um you know they prove themselves basically so eventually they're re-equipped with p51ds and that is where donald gets the 13 or yeah 13317 so to go back again, um, we had mentioned Eleanor, his girlfriend's sister. And the story goes that when uh, Eleanor or when Donald was visiting Eleanor's family, I think for the first time, Eleanor stopped her sister on the front porch and had to tell her, hey, my friend or my new boyfriend, friend hmm. Donald is here. And her sister said, and I quote, Donald that name reminds me of Donald Duck. <laughs> so the name stuck. And he eventually, you know, he was sent back overseas. And um, in his place, that's where he had Donald Duck nose art painted on his P-51. And today, uh, well, I should mention, he was not killed flying Donald Duck. No. He actually flew his last combat mission in a different P-51. Um, and then Donald Duck would actually go on to survive another couple of um, I think a couple months, maybe weeks before it was also lost um, with its pilot, unfortunately. Um, however, uh, another aircraft, a P-51D, uh, 474407, right? 409. 409, excuse yeah. me. We have a little connection to that too that we'll mention. But that aircraft was purchased by, what was his name? Um it was uh, Bob Tulis. Bob Tulis, who was a famous race car driver. And Bob really, I, I don't know if he actually knew the story going into it, but I think from what I read just online, he liked Donald Duck and he knew that this scheme existed. And when he did more research on it, he learned more about Donald's story and he got in touch with Sandra and they were actually able to fly the newly repainted and restored um, we'll just call it 00 or yeah, 009 for this, for the sake of our conversation or the new Donald Duck, um, to Pembina for a, you know, demonstration. He actually took Sandra up in the aircraft. Really cool. Super cool. You know, being able to fly over your hometown and, you know, something that I can only imagine that Donald would have loved. It would have been really cool to be at that dedication as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Bob would continue to fly, um, the new Donald Duck for a number of years before he donated it 
to the uh, American Air Museum at Duxford in England. I believe they had just revamped the new um, hangar in 2003, and that's where um, he donated it to. And it's currently on display uh, right when you walk in. So it looks exactly, it's pol polished aluminum. You know, it's in Donald's markings. It's, it is a beautiful aircraft. Oh. And his aircraft code was VFB. So that would make it the second aircraft in the Squad. squadron. Yep. So that's that's really really, really cool. special. Yeah. And you know, we we had talked about this even before the uh, uh we recorded this episode, but the fact that a small town North Dakota kid, you know, again, probably from one of the most you know desolate areas in the country at that time, even today, when you walk into such a huge museum like Duxford, you're greeted by his airplane super cool isn't that it gives me goosebumps it <laughs> it really does it's it's super special so uh interestingly a side bar for our sake um the aircraft or the p-51 that bob had repainted uh is 40 is serial number 44-74409 now if you are a serial number nerd like me or unfortunately, like Sam, that has to hear my turning into one, turning into one, which is good. That's not a bad thing. Serial numbers anonymous. <laughs> um, seven four four oh nine is actually two serial numbers away from seven four four oh seven, which is the P fifty one that is currently on display at the Fargo Air National Guard base here in Fargo. So, and that's an aircraft that we also hope to cover one day. Yes. Fingers crossed. Um, but, you know, the fact that, you know, there's a connection to North Dakota here, there's a connection to North Dakota in England, it, 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 it's, you can't make this up. No, really it's, it's small world. Yeah. It is. It's, it's so cool. Um, there's not a whole lot of known history on um, 74409. Uh, it looks like it was, you know, actually assigned to the Canadians, um, but after that was sold for surplus and you know, kind of the standard run-of-the-mill, mm -hmm. you know, Mustang career after uh, the 1960s. So, yeah. No, that's... That kind of... Wraps, wraps it up, up. yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for listening, uh, guys. Uh, you know, we wish you a Merry Christmas, yeah, Happy Merry New Christmas. Year, and we're going to be taking a hiatus just until the New Year. We're hoping to have uh, another B-25 update from Dave. He's doing really good work on it right now. Um, so that's kind of our next bit here, and hopefully some other... Fargo Air Museum news down the road yeah, here. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of really exciting stuff in the works, and we're uh, we're hoping that it all comes to fruition, and we can share it with you guys as soon as we we have an update on it. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Happy holidays. Yep. Merry Christmas. <laughs>